This episode is brought to you by Vonage. With Vonage Video API, your developers can easily create custom video experiences tailored to your business. Enhance every conversation with live video, whether it's delivering faster tech support, improving customer service, or enabling interactive meetings and events. Unlock the true video potential of your business. Discover how at Vonage.com. Earlier this month, New York financier and convicted sex offender Jeffrey Epstein was returning to the U.S. from Paris on his private jet when he was arrested. The indictment claims Epstein hired teen girls to give him massages at his mansions in Manhattan and Palm Beach, allegedly assaulting them. In civil lawsuits, women have said Epstein targeted girls who were particularly vulnerable, including ones who needed money. And Epstein has a lot of money. He owns six homes, including an entire island in the Caribbean, and a house on another island near his private island. Some of his accusers say they were flown around in his private planes. But the source of his fortune, which Epstein told the court is more than $500 million, has long been a mystery. No one's quite figured out even now how Jeffrey Epstein made his money. There is still no evidence on how this man amassed this wealth and became that influential. Today on the show, where did Epstein's money come from? Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, July 26th. Why is it such a mystery how he made his money? Well, it's a vast sum, right? It's not like he's worth $20 million or $50 million, which is like a lot of money, but not like outrageous. Ken Brown runs financial investigations for The Wall Street Journal. But being worth $500 million or more is pretty rare. And he didn't work for a big bank. He didn't run a hedge fund. He didn't start a tech company. Like, that's how you make half a billion dollars. He didn't do any of that stuff. So it is a mystery. And obviously, the guy has been accused of horrible things. So then they say, well, he must have made this money in some weird, dodgy way. We were just like, you know, we're the Wall Street Journal, and we look at money, and we were like curious, like, how did this guy make his money? So we dug into Epstein's finances and how he made his money. Epstein didn't start out as a millionaire. Let's talk about his background. Where did he come from? Came from Coney Island, which is a place in New York City that has a roller coaster and a boardwalk, but it also is a working class town down by the water. He dropped out of college, and his first job was teaching math at Dalton, which is an elite private school in New York. The Dalton story is the man makes connections. Through one of his students, he ended up meeting Alan Ace Greenberg, Wall Street legend who was the CEO of Bear Stearns, the guy who built up this company. And Ace Greenberg felt like this young guy was so smart, they should hire him. And Bear Stearns has a history of hiring smart young people who essentially want to be rich. Um, they were the place that you went if you didn't go to Harvard and you wanted to work on Wall Street. And so it was a perfect place. Epstein was hired at Bear Stearns in 1976. And it doesn't take long for evidence to emerge inside Bear Stearns that Jeffrey Epstein lied on his resume. And this was the resume that um, he had used to get hired at Dalton. Um, And what happened is he claimed that he went to Stanford University 
uh, and he didn't. The executives at Bear Stearns confronted Jeffrey Epstein and said, your, your resume's false. And he came back to them and said, sorry, I know. He admitted it. He said, uh, I needed to have a college degree to get this teaching job, and so I falsified my resume. The folks at Bear Stearns said, well, he's being honest with us, and we will give him a second chance. He ended up doing fantastic at Bear Stearns. He was an up-and-coming star. He did, by many accounts, know his stuff. And a lot of it was tax stuff. A lot of it was how to do a complicated thing that would cut your taxes a lot and save you a lot of money. And so people liked him. So he rose to become a limited partner in four years. And a year after that, he was fired. Whoa, what happened there? So he was accused of allocating shares in uh, IPOs, uh, you know, stock offerings for hot companies, uh, to someone who people thought was his girlfriend. That's a no-no. Those shares should go to clients of the firm. There shouldn't be conflicts there. Um, Also, there were alleged inaccuracies in his brokerage registration um, and some expense report infractions. So even though he got fired from Bear Stearns, his time at that investment bank sort of served as the launching pad for his career. What would you say was the kind of takeaway from his time at Bear Stearns? Well, the most memorable thing that someone told us when we were reporting this was, they said, and this is a quote, the Bear period got him in touch with big money. It was his first taste. He came to Wall Street. He had never been in that world. He was around people who were making millions of dollars and that's the thing that that is the lasting impact of his time at Bear Stearns. And so after Bear Stearns, in 1982, he started his own firm, J. Epstein and Company. And what did that firm do? The firm did everything. It was a wealth management firm. It was like a one-stop shop. In some ways, it was more classically like these private bankers at these old line private banks. You know, they do your investing. They deal with your taxes, but they would, you know— help your 'er ne'er-do-well son get into a boarding school to get him straightened out or whatever. They would do, they were like at your service. And Epstein did all that. Anything you needed, J. Epstein and company would do. And who were his clients, if you could characterize them? Billionaires. He connected with very, very rich people. He was great at making them feel like he could do everything for them and do it great and make them a lot of money. And the biggest example, and the, the one that changed his life was Les Wexner. Leslie Wexner is one of the great retail geniuses um, of, you know, the last few decades. He founded this company, L Brands, which previously was the limited. And that owned, at different times, Victoria's Secret, Abercrombie & Fitch, Lane Bryant, Express. These were the sort of hot mall stores during the periods when malls were hot. They met in the 80s, around the time when Wexner's businesses were really taking off. So the dream client for a private banker or a wealth manager is someone who's rich, because you want to start out with someone who's rich, but whose wealth grows exponentially. And that's what happened to Wexner. I mean, Epstein hit him at exactly the time when these mall concepts were taking off. And so Wexner's wealth rose to a peak of about $8 billion. And what did Epstein do for Wexner? What was the business that he did for him? He did everything. I mean, he did uh, investing for him. He did his taxes. 
He literally wrote the prenuptial agreement when Wexner married his wife. We found the documents in Ohio. Epstein had power of attorney over Wexner's finances. Like power of attorney like you get for like, you know, uh, uh, an old relative with dementia or something. I mean, he had that much power. He could write checks. He was on his charities. He helped Wexner develop this real estate project um, in north of Columbus, Ohio, building houses, and, and Epstein ended up living in one of them. He lived there? He bought one. He bought a house in, in Ohio. Jeffrey Epstein had no connection to Ohio, uh, and yet he was, like, buying a house there to live there. These, these two men were very close. Wexner owned a bunch of stock in the Limited, and Epstein managed that. Epstein was in charge. I mean, we had someone who said he had absolute control over Wexner's wealth. That's a quote from your reporting? Yeah. Someone who knows Wexner and was involved. You know, the people we talked to say Epstein made upwards of $200 million just from working with Wexner. So what stands out to you in the relationship between Epstein and Wexner? Well, you know, the closeness and the the power that uh, Epstein had over all of Wexner's money um, and the timing. I mean, you, like I said, he, it's, it's a dream situation for someone like that to connect with someone who will give them all this power and the opportunity to earn all these fees and all this money just at a time when their wealth was exploding. I mean, it would be like meeting Mark Zuckerberg three years after Facebook was founded and, you know, two years before the IPO or whatever. So is this unusual, what Epstein did with Wexner's money, or is that kind of what private bankers do? No, this is beyond the normal. The normal is, you know, you do taxes and you do investing and all that stuff, but being on their charities, basically taking over everything is unusual. I mean, this is a pattern. He got very close, unusually close to his clients. And he either charmed them, uh, offered them valuable services that made it worthwhile for them. That is how he operated. To be clear, Wall Street Journal reporting has not connected Epstein's work with Wexner to his alleged sex trafficking crimes. After Epstein's recent arrest, Wexner wrote a company-wide email to Elbrand's employees. He said he was quote, never aware of Epstein's alleged criminal behavior. And he said he had severed all ties with his former money manager nearly 12 years ago. But over the course of Epstein's career, his close relationship with Wexner helped him attract more business, other billionaires. And his roster of high-profile clients soon caught the eye of top Wall Street banks. In the late 1990s, the head of J.P. Morgan's private bank set up a meeting with Epstein. And Epstein, the quintessential middleman, used that meeting to his advantage. He connected J.P. Morgan with a man named Glenn Dubin, who ran a hedge fund called Highbridge. And by making that connection, Epstein would get a seat at the table for one of the biggest hedge fund deals on record. J.P. Morgan was trying to ramp up its private bank, and this was a time when hedge funds were really hot. When you had a private bank, one of the values that you offered to your clients was, I can get you into this hot hedge fund. And hedge funds now don't have that kind of shine, but then they did, and this was a hot hedge fund. And so uh, 
JP Morgan starts to pour client money into Highbridge, and Highbridge performs great. So everybody's happy. It's a terrific introduction. JP Morgan's so happy they buy control of Highbridge in 2004 for about a billion dollars. When JP Morgan bought Highbridge, did Epstein make money off of that deal? Yeah, so Epstein gets a cut, uh, and what we've found is it was roughly about $15 million. This is a big number, and um, people inside Highbridge looked around and they're like, why is he getting so much money? But this was one of the biggest hedge fund deals at the time. And J.P. Morgan was on one side of the table buying this hedge fund, and Highbridge was represented by Goldman Sachs and by Jeffrey Epstein. It just shows how amazing this guy worked himself into the highest levels of wealth and Wall Street power. I mean, here's one of the biggest hedge fund deals of all time with Goldman Sachs and J.P. Morgan and Jeffrey Epstein. So, you know, you look at how did he make his wealth? Well, this is how he made his wealth. He was in the middle of deals and transactions and relationships with some of the biggest financial institutions and some of the richest people in the world. Not long after that hedge fund deal, federal investigators began looking into claims that Epstein was sexually abusing underage girls. Claims that went back as far as 2001. And in 2007, after using his money to hire a high-powered legal team, Epstein reached a deal with federal prosecutors. He later pleaded guilty to two charges of sexual crimes, one involving minors, and he served 13 months in jail. So some people cut him off. Um, Wexner cut him off. Uh, It took a long time to disentangle Epstein's involvement with the Wexner family. It, It was just very complicated, and it took time, but he cut him off. J.P. Morgan cut him off later. Um, The Dubins had been involved with him after the guilty plea, and they said they thought he had rehabilitated himself. Um, And now they say they're horrified at what they've heard about these new allegations. J.P. Morgan declined comment, and the former head of J.P. Morgan's private bank said he hasn't had contact with Epstein in several years. Also, Epstein's lawyers didn't respond to requests for comment. Last week at his bail hearing... Epstein submitted a document listing his wealth at more than $550 million. Prosecutors said the document was as notable for what it did not include as for what it did. It had no disclosures of art or of foreign accounts. But while he may have made money from other activities, most of his wealth appears to have come from a small number of super-rich clients. The money plays such an important role in this allegedly dark life he led. And so we wanted to understand the money. And when you really dig into it, and, you know, we did, he made the money in pretty legitimate ways, right? The private jets, the big houses, um, being able to bring young women who wanted to be actresses and models into this opulent mansion. That's the potential connection between the two. Earlier this week, Epstein was moved to a suicide watch unit after he was found unconscious in his cell. Among the many questions that are still out there about Epstein, one is, after he was cut off from J.P. Morgan and Wexner, what did he do with his money? That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match. With Indeed, use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit 
to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com journal. Terms and conditions apply. This episode is brought to you by ServiceNow, the AI platform for business transformation. AI is only as powerful as the platform it's built into. Enter ServiceNow. It puts AI to work for people, for employees, for developers, and even your customers, removing frustration and supercharging productivity. On our intelligent platform, AI isn't just a promise. It's happening today. That's why the world works with ServiceNow. Tap the banner to learn more or visit servicenow.com slash AI for people. Welcome back. In the years after Epstein's child prostitution conviction, a bank that Epstein had long worked with, J.P. Morgan, dropped him as a client and closed his accounts. And around that time, according to Wall Street Journal reporting, Epstein started working more closely with another bank, Germany's biggest, Deutsche Bank. Deutsche Bank played a key role in Mr. Epstein's financial dealings in recent years. There were dozens of accounts at Deutsche Bank affiliated with him. The accounts helped Mr. Epstein move millions of dollars in cash and securities around over the course of several years. That's reporter Jenny Strasberg. She covers European finance, and she's been reporting on Deutsche Bank. The Epstein situation is a new headache for a bank that's seen more than its fair share of problems. Deutsche Bank's reputation has taken several hits recently over how well the bank vets its clients and their activity. Regulators and investigators are looking into its role in several matters. So there are a number of uh, money laundering probes, including in the U.S., and there are questions about uh, how the bank has handled some scandals in Europe around money laundering The German bank is also cooperating in a congressional investigation into President Trump's ties to the bank. Congressional committees have subpoenaed the bank for documents related to President Trump and others close to him, and those subpoenas are being challenged by the president and his lawyers. Epstein's association with the bank could cause more headaches. This week, Jenny reported that late last year, at least one Deutsche Bank employee flagged Epstein's account as a potential concern. Concerns were raised to supervisors, you know, over questions of, like, where are these money flows going? What do we know? And also, reputationally, Deutsche Bank's affiliation with a client featured in articles like these. Let's talk about that. A lawyer for Epstein declined to comment about Epstein's connections to the bank. Deutsche Bank didn't quantify Epstein's holdings and said it is still reviewing the scope of any business it had with Epstein. By the end of June, the bank had completely severed ties with Epstein. Amid these ongoing issues, Deutsche Bank is going through seismic changes. It's shrinking its investment banking arm, top executives have left, and earlier this month, the bank announced it would eliminate 18,000 jobs. It's a real dialing back of the bank's ambitions globally, which have been a couple of decades in the making. Deutsche Bank is really kind of retreating to the European and German bank that it was before it became the big global investment bank that we know today. That's all for today, Friday, July 26th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. 
We are your hosts. I'm Ryan Knudsen. And I'm Kate Leinbaugh. We're produced by Ricky Novetsky, Sarah Platt, and Willa Rubin. Pia Gadkari is our senior producer. Our supervising producer is Annie Rose Strasser. Our engineer is Griffin Tanner. And Gerard Cole is our executive producer. Our music this week comes from Haley Shaw and Bobby Lord from Gimlet. Special thanks to the team of reporters who worked on the Epstein story, Khadija Safdar, Rebecca Davis O'Brien, and Gregory Zuckerman. And special thanks also to Nicole Hahn. Thanks for listening. See you on Wednesday.